Well, when you, uh, when you heard David read, do you have a sense of uh, that was what the assembly of the people were listening to? And David, how do you ever pronounce all those names? <laughs> do you have a sense of what is it like when the word of God that was openly preached or spoken or read? Now, what happened is that the, 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 the thing is, is the, we are coming to the part where, you know, the next couple of chapters really cover, you know, the reading of God's word and where it sits in terms of, you know, the history of Israel to this point. Okay? So in order to understand the significance of this event, you need to have a little bit of context. So I'm going to run through the context with you. So can you just turn to, hey, you may have to flip on your Bibles, okay? If you, can you turn to, first of all, Jeremiah chapter 6, 15 and 16. Oh, by the way, before we start, you better pray, right? As usual, you know, I'm never prepared. I'm never fully prepared. So better pray before I... Uh, Heavenly Father, just thank you for this opportunity. We can open your word. Lord, we know that you have given us the Holy Spirit, uh, Holy Spirit, which is our teacher. You will teach us all things, Lord, that you want us to know. Heavenly Father, help me to preach, uh, help me to say things that is according to your will and from your word. And just pray that, Lord, you would uh, take each of the message and, and just speak to each one of us. Make it relevant and motivate us and stir us to want to apply it. In your son's precious name, we pray. Amen. Okay, let's look at... Uh, Nehemiah chapter 6, uh, 15 to 16, just to get a context. So the war was completed on the uh, 25th of Elu in 52 days. When all the enemy heard about this, all the surrounding nations were afraid and lost their self-confidence because they realized that this work has been done with the help of our God. Now flip to chapter 7. In order to really get the whole context of the whole preaching of the word and the reading of the word thing, you got to read from chapter 7 to chapter 10 to get a context. Even if you go to 12, it will even be better. But there's a context. Let's turn to chapter 7. Reading from verse 1. After the wall has been rebuilt and I have set the door in place, the gatekeepers and singers and the Levites were appointed. I put in charge of Jerusalem my brother Hanani among among, along with Haniah, Hananiah, the commander of the candidate, because he was a man of integrity and feared God more than most men do. I said to them, the gates of Jerusalem are not to be opened until the sun is hot. While the gatekeepers were still on duty, have them shut the door and bar them. Also, appoint residents of Jerusalem as guard, some at their post and some near to their home. Verse 4 and 5. Now the city was large and spacious, but there were few people in it, and the houses has not been yet rebuilt. So my God put it into my heart to assemble the nobles, the official, and the common people for registration by family. I found the generation, generational record of those who has been the first to return. This is what I found written there. I won't read the rest of it, so you go and read it yourself. But it just actually, you know, give you all the people that came back. And I just took a little thing and add up the number of people, right? Just for curiosity. 
50,000 to be exact is uh, 400. Oh, yeah. I just give the exact figure to prove that I've actually counted it. 49,942, 49, so rounding up 50,000 people. They were the first people that came back from exile for Babylon. So they have come back earlier, way before you know, the temple was rebuilt and the wall was rebuilt. But what they did was that when they came back, they all settled around their hometown you know, in Judea, away, I mean near to Jerusalem because hey, there was no wall, the temple was not rebuilt. So the historical thing is that the temple is really under Ezra. Jeremiah has rebuilt the wall. So it's now secure. And now the issue is, hey, let's get the people back into the thing, into the city. So that is the background. Now, chapter 7, 73, the last verse of chapter 7. So you read, just for curiosity, just read through the list of people that came back. Verse 73 says, the priests the Levites, the gatekeeper, the singer, and the temple servant, along with certain other people and the rest of the Israelites, settled in their own town. So they were in their own town. And then we start with chapter 8. So basically what's happening is that Jeremiah is now saying, hey, there's a lot of space in the city. We need to bring the people back into the city. So he's, that's how he started with, you know, Let's see who can get registered. And then he found out this historical record of the people that have come back. So that's how it started. So it starts with chapter 8. Now, so that is the background. Okay, So you have to understand the background of the Israelite. They have gone under, you know, under in exile, under the rule of the Babylonian for a long time. And it's the first time that they, you know, under the decree of Duris, they were able to be sent back to, to Judea. And they came back. And so chapter 8 is the starting where Nehemiah is actually getting the people together. Just imagine it's the first time that these people gather back together, 50,000 of them. Amazing, isn't it? 50,000 people coming back together and they say we hold an assembly as according to the word of God. Just going to put that into context. It's very important. Now, the other thing that is very important, the significance of this event is actually this. Hey, by the way, uh, if you're looking for a good commentary, okay, if you want to study the Bible, sometimes you need to, of course, you can read the Bible and the Holy Spirit tell you, but sometimes it's good to look at commentary because God also gives wisdom to people who write this commentary. This is actually a very good series commentary called Teach the Text Commentary Series. Highly recommended because it teaches the Bible in the context of it and not take things out of context. I was talking to Marie. We got to teach from the text. What does the Bible in this text tell us and what the God wants us to know? Versus I think I need to tell people that they should follow me. And then I'll take all the text from the Bible and say, I think every verse that says follow Ben is applicable. Follow Ben because he will tell you where to go. Follow Ben because he will give you wisdom. Follow Ben because he's gifted. So that's the difference. So this is a real good text stuff. 
So let me just read you the context, okay? The structure of Nehemiah chapter 8 to 10 follow a pattern recognizable from a number of covenant renewal in the early parts of the Old Testament. What he's trying to say is that the starting of getting the people back and holding the assembly is the beginning of God renewing his covenant with his people. Remember the covenant was broken by the people? And God punished them by, you know, putting them into, you know, slavery and under the rule of foreign, uh, you know, authority. Coming back, coming back, the remnants and the starting of Nehemiah chapter 8 to 10 is the beginning of God renewing the covenant, you know, with his people again. In a better light, okay, in a better light, in a better way. So it says that, right, and the, the pattern is such that First, so start out with proclaiming of God's word, confession of sin, renewal of commitment to obedience. Whereas Nehemiah chapter 8 records the reading of God's law, the community joy in knowing and obeying in it. Nehemiah 9 relates to the confession of the mourning over sin. This leads to the renewing commitment of obedience in Nehemiah chapter 10. So what the author is suggesting is that the starting of the reading of the God's word and the impact on the people and the response of it is the beginning of God's, you know, renewing their covenant with his people again. And it then leads through the confession of sin and then the commitment. Now, that's why you're going to come next week because this one is going to be what, okay? It's going to be part two in terms of looking at chapter 9 and chapter 10, the impact of God's word through this renewal. Isn't it marvelous to see this, the renewal? That's where the excitement is, right? That's where the excitement is. Okay, now let's go to chapter 8. That is the background of it all. So you'll find that, first of all, in chapter 8, 1 to 3, when the seventh month came, the Israelites were settled in the town. All the people assembled as one man in the square before the water gate. They told Israel, the scribe, to bring out the book of the law of Moses which the law has commanded for Israel. The assembly of people of 50,000 were there and they were saying, read God's law to us. We probably cannot relate to the Israelite, right? Because we have never gone through what they've gone through. They have never been a nation together. And God's word has never been read in this way before. In the, you know, in the, it's always a pattern, you know, in the days where they were, even from the day of, you know, of they coming out of, of, you know, of Egypt. It's always God, you know, assembly of people, God's word is spoken from Moses to the prophet. And when they were under bondage, they probably couldn't do that. So much of significance to them that once again, they have all this assembly of people and they say, hey, we want to listen to the word of God and see what God has to say. So requested that. So on the first day, that's what he did. So Israel the priest brought the law before the assembly. He read it aloud from daybreak till noon as he faced the square. And the men, women and others who could understand and all the people listened attentively 
into the book of the law. Man, Marie tells me, hey, by the way, you are preaching uh, evening service. Uh, the message is short, okay? It's only about 20 minutes. And the people sat half a day listening to the word of God. So I told her, I don't care. I speak as the Lord leads me and, well, if those of you want to sleep, go to sleep. Those of you want to leave, leave. My job is to preach the word. Day and night. And they listen attentively. Now you will later on understand what they mean by attentively, okay? Because that has, has a meaning and an outcome of being attentive. But we always tell me, you listen, but you never hear. Are you very common in, in communication, isn't it? It's like, you hear me? Yeah, I did. You, you didn't because you really didn't listen. Right? You hear me? I did. But I wouldn't think so. You got a message. So what happened is that the people came and they attended, you know, attentively. And what happened is also very interesting. What is the next thing that's interesting to you? Come on, come on. Those who are reading the passage, following the spirit, what is the next thing that strikes you? Anybody? Sorry? Oh, man, this guy, he's standing up. Oh, 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 okay, we're fine now. Let's get over the standing up. What is the main, what is the next thing that strikes you? Verse 7. The Levites, all the names I can't pronounce as well as David, instructed the people in the law. While the people were standing there, they read from the book of the law of God, making it clear and giving the meaning so that the people could understand what was being read. Isn't that great? Could you just imagine 50,000 people, right? Ezra read the book. By the way, it's a whole day because they read a lot of stuff. Okay, later on, when we go into the other later part of the passages, you will notice that it covers a lot of things. Okay, it's a very long. In fact, the whole reading of the book actually traces the whole history of, you know, their forefather Israelite being led out of Egypt through the desert and what they've gone through and God's instruction. It's a whole lot. I can understand why now it's half a day. Now, what to do? After when they finish, they all form into bus group. The Levites then further drill down what they learn. And it's amazing, isn't it? They actually want to instruct and make sure that people understand what is being said. Now, not only that, understanding. Can anybody tell me the difference between knowing and understanding? Knowing is from head knowledge. Understanding is understanding what, that, what does God tell me and how is it relevant to where I am now? Or why is it relevant in terms of where God's kingdom is now? Not even from my own life. What does, this mean? what does it mean in the, in the sense of the, what the church is doing? What is happening to the world? What does God's message say and the relevancy of it? Do we ever think through that? And lastly, how do we apply it? In, actual, in our own actual living, how does it relevant 
and applicable. You know, we, we tend to be spoon-fed. In fact, the best sermon that people want to hear nowadays is not what the text teaches, is please tell me how to apply. When people tell you that, tell me how to apply. The application is important. It is that you want people to translate and tell you how come this passage and this instruction from God is relevant to my life. We have become lazy. We are not really searching and asking and deep further and say, what does this passage, what does God say of this? How does it, what is it really relevant to my stage of life and beyond yourself? You know, we are in this culture where it's me. It is always, what is there for me? You know, you come and listen to sermon, let me tell you. Just as people say, the first three sentences from the preacher is very important because you either give the impression that you've got something to say or you've got nothing to say. It's not that you've got nothing to say. It is people who really have in mind, I'm looking for this. Oh, sorry. It's not what I'm really worried about. There's nothing else to hear. Isn't the attitude that we have in terms of approaching God's word? So that there's nothing there for me, Therefore, why listen to this guy talk? But not the Israelite here. You want to listen to God's instruction and you want to find what does that mean to us as we go back to Jerusalem? What does that mean in terms of having this renewing relationship with God? Now, how do I then, you know, apply some of this thing? And later on you will see that's what they do. You know, it's interesting that uh, some times ago, you remember we did uh, have, I think George tried to do is that preach something from the pulpit, right? And after that, small group had a little discussion. Well, that could be a little bit of what is happening here to the Israelites. Let's look at the impact of the reading of the word, the, in, the instruction and creating understanding of the word, you know, by the Levites, what, have, what kind of impact it has on the people. Let's look at verse 9. 7 or 9. Nehemiah, okay, who were instructing the people, say to them, this day is catered to the Lord. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people has been weeping as they listen to the word of the Lord. Of course, the verse doesn't tell you why they're crying, right? Can anybody tell me why they were crying? When the law, you know, of God is being said, the history of their forefather is being laid before them. Why do you think they were crying? Anybody? Come on. Sorry? They were convicted of the sin not only of their own sin, but sin of their forefather. Because that reading of God's law, the message that come across is that your forefather have never been faithful to me. You have turned away from me, you are stiff-necked people, and you turn away from me to worship the gods of the land that you were living. 
you have not kept my covenant, you have become disobedient. And they can reflect it because they reflect in their own life. And they can see the consequence of it. The next thing, of course, that I can guess, hey, there are two things you can feel, right? You feel guilty and your sinfulness and all that. What is the other thing that you usually feel at the same time? You're probably overwhelmed, overwhelmed and moved by the mercy and the faithfulness of God, the grace of God. How can God again and again still take care you know, of my forefather and themselves, despite the fact that they've been unfaithful, that God has been faithful, that God still remembers them, that God still keeps their promise that they will be a nation that will bless the world. And despite the fact that they were under bondage, under slavery, under the dominant others, they just remain, they being set aside, that will be brought back. So they cry. My friend, when was the last time that we read the word of God through your own individual thing, and particularly, you know, from the preaching of the word that moved you to the stage where you cried because you're repentant. You cry because you are thankful and grateful to God for being so faithful despite the fact we have not been. Now, so not, not, that's not the end, right? So the, then the, <laughs> Jeremiah and the people say, no, 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 no. Today, no mourning. It's funny, isn't it? It's no mourning because it's supposed to be a feast of celebration. So now you have to celebrate. You know, this, this thing about the, jo- the joy of the Lord is my strength. We sing it as a chorus, right? You know what's the meaning of it? Where do the joy of the Lord come from in this instant? Tell me. What he says is that, wow, once you get this joy from the Lord, it is your strength. Where do you think the people get the joy of the Lord from in this instant? Anybody? How about verse 12? Then all the people went away to eat and drink, to send portion of food and to celebrate with great joy because they now understood the word that has been made known to them. Knowing God's word is to discover the God's joy. Understanding God's word, the relevancy, is the strength from God. See, so we've been singing all this song about the joy of the Lord is my strength, not knowing where it came from, and not understanding what it is. But this here in Nehemiah. Let me quickly go to the next one. There are about five occasions where the word of God is being read, okay? Through chapter 8 to 10 and 11 and 13. So I'm going to cover only two tonight. Hopefully, you think that it's interesting, you may come back next week, okay? So I just covered the second one. The second part of it is, let's look at chapter 8, verse 13. Oh, I've done 13, sorry. Yep, chapter 13, on the second, on the 13th, on the second day of the month. So the first day they read, 
The second day, they read again. The second day of the month, let me just skip all those. Israel described to give attention to the word of the Lord. They found it within the law which Moses has commanded to Moses that all Israelites were to live in booths during the feast of the seventh month. And they should proclaim this word and spread it throughout their town and in Jerusalem. Go out into the hill country and bring back branches from olive and wild olive trees and from mountains, palms and shade trees to make boots, as it's written. Verse 16 is an interesting one. So the people went out and they start doing that. Now what is all amazing is that where is the verse says that the whole company? Oh, verse 17. The whole company that has returned from exile build booths and live in them. From the day of Joshua, the son of Nun, until that day, the Israelite has not celebrated it like this. And their joy was very great. My friend, could you imagine 50,000 50, little tents all over the place? Biggest party in uh, Woodstock. By the way, you know Woodstock? I don't know. I mean, my, my days. Woodstock. <laughs> Equivalent. Out there. Now, I will not, actually, I wanted to go on to this reference, but I think I leave it because I think I got to knock it off because otherwise everybody won't have dinner. So the passage, you know, where this thing about the instruction about the boot came from is Leviticus uh, chapter 23, 41 to 43. So look at chapter Leviticus 23. That is the chapter where God gave Moses to outline all the feasts that the Israelites have to observe. You got to read that chapter because that chapter will give you an understanding of what all the feasts are happening the first day, the 10th day, the 15 days, whatsoever. You got to read that, okay? Now, this thing about the, 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 the you know, God gives the instruction that people should build a boot came from Leviticus chapter 23, 41 to 43. The purpose of it is actually this it is a way for, listen, it is the way where the descendant of the people that came out of Egypt will remember that they lived in those tents when they were brought out. Underlying thing is, it is the Lord your God who brought you out. Interesting, it is for the descendant of the generation. It is not to remind themselves only. Is to remind the generation. And the word actually, the instruction is that this ordinance, this practice should be, you know, passed on to your generation and on and on and on. So verse 16 is what I like. So it's written, this is what we should do. And the word was, so the people went out. Let me just, uh, oh, by the way, before I go to my closing, it's about time, right, Marie? So chapter 8, verse 18, day after day for seven days, Israel read the book of the law and the assembly listened attentively. It was recorded for us the first day, there was weeping. The second day, they go out and build, you know, those tents, 
And then day after day, day after, they listen to the word of God. From day, from day to noon. What is, what do I get from, what do we get from the passage we consider today? Number one is that, you know, week by week, our assembly together on a Sunday is not very different, not much very different from the assembly during a time, right? We all come together, we worship God whatsoever. I, I just observe a couple of differences. Number one, I'm not sure what degree of oneness do we have when we all come together as a congregation. In this particular case, okay, all the people were as one man. They are united. That was the description of assembly. They have the sole purpose. We want to listen to the word of the Lord and see what God wants to tell us from now on since we come back. Where does he want us to go? I'm not sure when we come out together on Sunday, we have this sense of oneness. I think our degree of oneness is still very related to which small group do I belong to, which cultural, ethnic background do I come from, my, my you know, economic class that I am, the people that have the same interests with me, the people that I grew up with, the people that talk the same language, that eat the same food. I'm not sure whether we get beyond me or what. <laughs> So I'm not sure whether, uh, where that oneness comes from. We may have to rethink and see whether what is missing in our this oneness. The thing that brings the Israelites together is that they can relate, they can relate to a same experience of being with God, punished by God. And I'm challenging ourselves and says, do we share this oneness that we were once stranger without God, not knowing God? We were seen destined for, you know, for, for eternal death, but now we found Jesus. And it's something we can share. You know, the other thing that these people are so what is because of the hope they can see. They are coming back from exile, and they can see this hope that they will be a nation, God will fulfill his promise and covenant that they will be a nation that bless other nations. And there will be this renewal of relationship and covenant with God. And let me ask you, brother and sister, when we come together, do we have this common mission of spreading God's words and extending his kingdom? Do we have this desire that we are all actually heading for this hope. We are looking forward to this hope. I doubt so. Next thing, why are we not eager when we listen to God's word? I struggle to even try to read a psalm a day. I went to a camp, right, a couple of months back, and they talked about a psalm, and I was so, I was so charged up and challenged. And I said, yep, I'm going to read a psalm a day as my commitment. My friend, I think we, I, I think I came back, uh, we must be about 30 days from the time we came here from the camp, and I only covered Psalm 15. 
You know, the other thing is also this. We listen to God's word, right? How many of us, as I say, we tend to be selective to listen what we want to hear. Ah, there's something for me. Let's listen. Man, that speaker is so charismatic. Oh, there's some emotion I can relate to. Oh, there's a problem that I can associate with the preaching. And the rest, we are not listening to it. The other thing is this, okay? How often do we actually go back and think through what we have, we have you know, listened and think through? Just like the Levites. Do we, do we have this kind of little thing going after the listening to God's word? I try to be... By the way, this is my habit. I always write notes, right? Have you seen people who keep writing notes? Right? People write notes. I'm the one who always write notes, okay? My intention was good. I want to make notes and say, yeah, this strike me, okay? And I hope that I can work things through throughout the week. Let me tell you, never. I have volumes of uh, books that have written all these sermons, okay, that I heard. And eventually, day springing, I mean, day spring, I've got to just chuck them out. It was no relevance. The other thing is actually, sometimes when you sit there and God speaks to you, right? I think some of us have this experience that the Spirit convicts you and says, oh yeah, this is something that, that really I need to do something. Something I really feel, feel bad about, I need to repent. My friend, it doesn't last long, isn't it? I think by Wednesday, you probably... Back to normal, isn't it? And then we come again. You know the parable of the sower? Let me ask you. You know the parable of the sower? You have all the rocky ground. Let me ask you. I asked Marie the same question. Who do you think the parable is for? When the Lord Jesus teaches a parable, who do you think the parable is for? Okay, now, Rekha, you, you go and read the context of the beginning. Basically, it's anybody who are there listening to Jesus. But of course, Jesus spends some time talking to the disciple. But the whole objective of the story is how do we receive and respond to what we heard? Disregard whether you are a Christian or you are non-Christian. Sometimes we think that a non-Christian, we sometimes tend to preach this in the context of the gospel. Oh, we preach the gospel and all these things happen. My dear friend, it applies to you and me. When we listen to God's word every Sunday or when it's preached, we, our response is being depicted in the different grounds that was there. Go back and read it and look at it and identify which ground you are. The only thing that is good about the good soil is that the good soil is the one who receives it and understands it. And accept it. Okay, lastly, sorry, but what do I need to say? Lastly is, so they went out and did it. They realized that this is an instruction from God as an indication of their repentance, their sorrowfulness. It is an act of repentance. They are saying, no, God, we want to listen to your word. If they have done it in the previous time, we will do it. So let's go and do it. 
That should be the way that we should respond. So I just leave this with you in terms of the part one, two of the reading of God's word. Other things will come more excitingly, okay? So you've got time, just read a couple of chapters before that. More exciting thing, but just for this, let us look at upon ourselves and say, have we become complacent? There's a British proverb which I learned from my English teacher many young years ago. Complacent, plead, contempt. Is there such a thing? Do you all still hear this, read this prophet? Man must be really ancient. Okay, what it really means is that when you are happy and satisfied with things, then you tend to take things for granted. And you think to take God for granted and hold him in contempt. So maybe we are. When we approach God's word, we don't have the eagerness anymore. We don't have the hunger anymore. Because, hey, my life is pretty smooth, isn't it? Let me tell you when we are very serious about God's word. I can tell you to the last time because I went through it. When you're in trouble, man, you'll be reading the Bible every day. Every moment you'll be reading it. And you'll be asking, God, please tell me, what does that mean to your life? And you know something? Everything seems to apply at a particular time. Every passage that you read. Then what's the difference? When the hard time is over, the eagerness is not there. So I just leave this with you, as usual, overshot all my time, and just pray that you know, God will continue to, uh, to speak to you as he has spoken to me.